Hey, Reach Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with Pastor David Tejerina Jr. in a message he's entitled, The Prodigal Wife. Enjoy this message. Praise God, man. Can you remain standing real quick? I want to give it up to Pastor Omar and Pastor Letty tonight because they deserve it. You know when I... um just, I, I respect this house, um, the men that has come out of this, and the women that have come out of this, what, the, the investment that has been put in by Pastor Omar and Pastor Lethe um, to do this too. Can we give your pastors a round of applause? I'm, I'm learning every time, just, just from, from Pastor Omar, and just, just the way he, he communicates, his grace, his mercy, his love for, his love for people, church. And uh, this is a great church to be at, amen. Love this church. Thank you, can, amen. And uh, so honored to be here. I'm more than humbled to be here. I'm uh, so yeah. You can go to sit down. Sorry, I know that's awkward. I'm not. I'm not used to these things. <laughs> you see, I'm at my church, and uh, hey, we just you know. And um, but uh, yeah, just so for those of you who may not know me, uh, you probably know my parents, David and Linda Tiarina, amen. <laughs> I got to give them a shout out. I believe they're watching online from Washington. Amen. So hi, mom. Hi, dad. And um, awesome couple. And, um, you know, just to go off real quick on, on Pastor Omar. You know, um, when we came uh, into this fellowship, you know, it, we were just blown away by the, um, not just the, the, the friendship and taking us and adopting us into your family. And I thank you, uh, Pastor Lethe and Pastor Omar, uh, for adopting our family uh, into this family uh, because it's blessed us, it's blessed Gardena for numbers of years. And, um, and you didn't know what you're getting, but um, I tell you what, man, we, we, we thank you so much and, and we, we honor you guys and uh, thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. And thank you for allowing our church to be here tonight. Amen. Praise God. Uh, yeah, so me and my wife, we, uh, we pastor um, in uh, the South Bay. Uh, we're in Torrance at my house right now. Amen. And uh, we're doing it there because we're, in, we're looking for a building, and God is doing something awesome. He's, uh, we, we've established a, a core group, man, of, of people that are ready and on fire. We're going to be launching their own connect groups in one month. Amen. And we're going to be doing some cool stuff here in the next couple of years. And so we're, we're in the... the um, the talks right now, I mean, everywhere we go, it's, you know, I've, I don't know how many buildings we've called within the last few months. And, uh, you know, as soon as you say church, and like, oh, we don't have any parking, but just continue praying for us. I know God is, is opening up doors for us, amen, uh, to move. And so me and my beautiful wife, uh, Malia, amen. Yeah, we pastor there, and um, and, and uh, I couldn't do this without her, amen. And uh, just the encouraging talks, the, hey, have you have you prayed? Maybe that's why you're a little bit cranky. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to, you know, maybe we need to fast. And I'm like, I don't like that word, so we'll pray, amen. So, but it's a word I've gone to love and grow in tonight, and um, and uh, I thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. I want to go ahead and just jump right into it. And I want to look at tonight, uh, uh, I've titled this message tonight called The Prodigal Wife. And, and it's not a marriage class, don't, don't uh, right? It's not a marriage class, it's nothing like that. Uh, and, and we're going to be taking a, um, a dive into one of my favorite scriptures uh, just growing up, uh, um, uh, you know, in church. And just seeing with the love of God, and most of you know the story of Hosea and Gomer. 
right? And, and, know, and uh, you know the story, but I want to look at this tonight to, and, and the heart of God and uh, his love for you and I, amen? And so um, uh, let's just go ahead. I'm, I'm going to first dive into Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Acts chapter 9, and Daisy, if you want to hang out there, you're more than welcome to. And if not, uh, so it's totally up to you. So yeah, if you go ahead, and we'll go ahead and, and go ahead and uh, thank you. Amen. <laughs> I'm blessed, dude. I'm blessed to, you know, like that's, that's awesome, uh, you know, to, to have that. And thank you, Jay-Z. Uh, you guys do tremendous work. There's so many people I want to give a shout out to, but it's not that time. It's, it's, it's God time. Amen. I love this church. Amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 6. I want to look at Paul real fast. And this is when he gets, his, he gets knocked off his high horse. And he, he's... Here in verse 6, he says, So he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you most do. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us tonight are familiar with the question to be or not to be, right? That is the question. But when I look at that question tonight, and I begin to kind of dive into that, I begin to look at men and women who say that, who say that those sort of statements, uh, and they're men and women without faith. They kind of just like, yeah, whatever the wind wants to go, wherever, wherever the, the day is going to kind of take me on, that's where I'm going to be. It's, it's men and women uh, who have no hope for their future. They have no direction. They have uh, 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 no point, uh, uh, no, no place to dock the ship. Uh, it, it's a question uh, that, that's never really um, had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it, it's, it's always a question of, of, of uh, how can I get the most by doing the littlest? I, I want I want the Pastor Omar and Pastor Lefty experience, but how can I jumpstart that, right? How many of you guys have been hit by somebody, not in the church, of course, but in your family? Hey, how about you come over to my house and try out this new product, right? I remember one time we got in touch with a friend that we haven't seen in years, one of my wife's friends, and we're like, oh, cool, we're going to hang out. They're going to have, like, what, crackers and stuff like that? They're going to have, like, little smorgasbord. <laughs> Do I have enough crackers for 50? No. And, uh, <laughs> um, and so we go over there and it's like a totally, you know, hey, uh, come on and jump with this investment thing that I'm doing. And it's like one of those things, right? And, uh, it, it, you know, <laughs> I, I hate those things, right? Because we always want the get rich quick scheme. Well, if I, sell, if I just do this, I just, you know, and then it's like, and you always see that person, they're jumping from product to product to product. Is that you tonight? Hey, I'm, praise God, I'm trying to be an entrepreneur. Amen. I'm not digging, I'm not dogging on you. I, mean, I don't like this pastor. It's always the question of how can I write success on someone else's back? What's the easiest way to do life without really costing me anything? But I know no one here tonight is asking those questions. That's not what this type of church is. But the question that you and I should be asking tonight is, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's it. That's the question that we as Christians need to be at. Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, I know a lot of times we ask this question a little bit sarcastically to our bosses, our kids, our parents, our spouses. What do you want me to do about it, right? How many of you guys, no one's here, right? But maybe my church, right? What do you want me to do, right? Like it's, I didn't take out the trash can. I'm sorry, I didn't put the trash back in the trash can. What do you want me to do? And this is a question I believe that Gomer 
was asking in Hosea because here she got caught up in a lifestyle. She got, she got this, this man, a man of God that came and rescued her, married her, brings her into a good home, but still had eyes for everything else. Here in Hosea chapter six, verse six, it says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want, to know, I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I like the way the Message Bible says this. It says, I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not just go to more prayer meetings. And so when you read the book of Hosea, and I strongly encourage you guys to dive into that, but the story is one of my favorites, again, growing up. When you look at the word Gomer, the name Gomer means completion. It's the fulfilling of the, the misery of, a, of idolatry or ripeness of consummate wickedness. Her name was indicative of the wholesale adultery and idolatry of the kingdom that she represented. As a wife of whoredoms, this woman of the northern kingdom, regarded as an adulteress, became a symbol of her people. And, too many, and you look around our nation right now, we have too many of our culture, that, that's the symbol of our nation right now. I, I believe that if you were to, you know, take the average home in America, multiply that by several million, that's the heart of the nation. The reason why we're seeing so much brokenness in our nation right now is because of the brokenness of the home. There's no father there. There's no family. There's no, there's no hangout. There's none of that. And then, oh, we're not going to go into that part tonight. But the, there's a breakdown of that. And here she is a reflection of her nation. And what we as Christians need to be doing is we need to be the reflection of our nation, amen. I, I, we, the reason why we say reach South Bay is because we're open to wherever God wants to put us in the South Bay, man. That's, hey, wherever there's a building, that's where we're gonna go, amen. And uh, we're praying about it and, and doing it. And they're like, you just took the South Bay. Yes, I did, because I want LA. I want Los Angeles. This is, and I'm pretty sure your church is just like this as well, but our church is, for as small as it is, the way God has set our church up is amazing, we haven't really done like really like physical outreaches because of the pandemic, you know, just a lot of things going on. But we got people from Hollywood, East LA, South LA, Downey, Lakewood, Hawthorne, all coming. And I said, this is perfect because we're reaching Los Angeles right where you're at. In your proximity, you know, Los Angeles is one of the, 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 the largest ports in, in uh, America. And there's so many demonic things that come through this port. That, and we get hit with it first. That's why Los Angeles is so crazy the way it is. Because we got so many things that are just hitting with it. And then it gets released to the rest of the nation. But I say, man, God, if we could be that church, that port to the rest of the nation. Uh, for people who have a revival in their hearts, uh, love for God, uh, that we can take back this nation for you. Here this story takes place in Samaria in, in 790 BC. Jeroboam is the, is the king of the, uh, at the time. There's a, there's a season of great economy, but it also means that there's a lot of great danger when there's great economy. Anytime you're in extreme of poverty or, or wealthiness, how many know you're at a danger level, right? I love when it says, God, I don't want to be uh, uh, rich enough to where I don't need you no more, but I don't want to be poor enough to where I have to steal either. I want to be right in that middle, <laughs> right there. And so 
If, if you think of uh, anytime there's a, 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 a kingdom, when they, when they win a, get a, a, a war, the, the most vulnerable time is after you win a great victory, you let down your guards. Oh, that was great. Right on. Hey, let's not go to prayer. Hey, let's not go to connect group. We had a great service. Let's just relax a little bit. And that's when the enemy, the enemy began, where did this come from? It's because we let our guards down. I don't want to be like uh, uh, the city of Troy that let the Trojan horse in, man. Uh, I, I, I want to have my guards up. And so here they were prosperous. They were so absorbed in their material things, so absorbed in their own, cult, uh, own culture. There's so many uh, uh, caught up in what they created that they lost any love, any zeal for God. And, any, and, and so they're so busy being little busy bees that they're drowning in their own money. Here prophet Amos tries to bring them back and it doesn't work in Hosea. He has this, he, he comes into the scene. He has this compassionate heart. He's, he has the inside of a prophet. He's got a passion of a lover. He's got a heart of a hero. And he is very aware tonight uh, of the present dangers that surrounded Israel this time. Uh, he knows uh, what's going on. He knows the dangers. Uh, and he's got a love for his people so much. He says, oh my gosh, uh, they need you, God. Here he is, he saw the crumbling in the making. He saw the armies of Assyria sweeping through. He knew that the remedy for this people was for them to wake up and to come back to God. And in order for this great awakening to happen, he gave himself with a wholehearted devotion to wake up his fellow Jews. And as passionate he was about the ministry, he still had time to date and even marry this lady. <laughs> this wonderful woman named Gomer. God bless. Can you imagine every single single woman in that church? He chose her. Do you know how long I've been waving my hand up in the air? I am available. I am, you know. He chose her. Who knows? She might have been charming. She might have been beautiful. She might have been nice. I doubt it. Well, whatever the case may be, he consents and makes her his wife. And for a little while, she does love him. For a little while, she does, she does everything that you'd expect of a wife. And for a little while, she was devoted. And here Hosea had every reason to believe that this marriage was going to work out. Now, there's a saying that when a man meets his wife, he either meets his heaven or he meets his... Now, don't hit your neighbor. <laughs> He meets his heaven or he meets his hell. Same for the women. You either meet your heaven or you meet your hell. And here in this instance, uh, Hosea meets his hell. She doesn't care about his ministry. She slowly had pity for herself and she began to look at herself as a victim. Everyone else gets to have fun while I'm playing housewife. Everyone else gets to go out and all the guys get to do things. Why can't I? It's, it's 690 B.C., to turn, <laughs> you know where I'm going with that one. Not, not only did she feel like she deserved more than expecting life, but she began to participate in what was going on. And so naturally, as the young husband, he's very disappointed. He thinks, well, maybe I can, maybe we have some kids and this will bring her back to her senses. And that, that doesn't happen. And so she takes off again 
Here, I'm pretty sure the neighbors saw the writings of divorce all over the, all over the walls. They were just waiting for that day to happen. And so, but it was through all this that God reveals something inside Hosea that he had not seen before. And I want to look at a few points of lessons that Hosea learned in this tonight. Uh, and the first point I want to look at tonight, what he learned in this tragedy is that he learned what sin and righteousness really was. He learned what sin and righteousness really were. He learned through the tragedy of his own life. What was the sin of Gomer? What was her sin? It, it, it was it when she went out with different guys, different nights? Was it her prostitution? What was the, the sin of Gomer? It wasn't, it wasn't the lying. It wasn't the stealing. It wasn't sleeping around. It was, those are just outward things of wrongs that we're committing. But when you look at, like, for example, the prodigal son, the prodigal son, his sin wasn't that he went out and wasted his money. His sin wasn't that he went out and partied and did all that. The sin tonight was simply he wanted independence from his father. I don't want to be obedient. I don't care what you say. I want my independence from you. Here, the prodigal son loses his confidence with his father's ability to meet his needs. He wanted to live his own life. He thought that he knew best. And when you and I, church, begin to seek independence from God, when we begin to seek independence from that, say, well, I know what best. When I begin to seek and allow my self-will to control my life, that is the moment that sin enters the heart. We ought to see the true meaning of relationship. See, what was the Hosea wanted from his wife? Why did it break his heart every time she left him? It wasn't because he didn't have anyone to cook for him. It wasn't because no one was there to make the bed or sweep or mop. No, Hosea simply wanted a wife. He wanted a companion. He wanted a friend, a lover, Somebody that he can talk to at night and he can respond. Someone that he can have a conversation with. Uh, he didn't want just a, 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 a maid, a housekeeper. What does God really want from you and I tonight? Why did God create us? To have a relationship with us. You know, I, I tell this to my churches. You know, God's number one desire for you and I tonight, it's not for you to become a CEO or a billionaire or, you know, have a great business. God's desire for you tonight is not even become a pastor or a missionary or evangelist. God's desire for you and I tonight is simply to be obedient to him. That's it. Just be obedient to what he's, because he wants you. He created you. He thought about you. He values you. God doesn't want you to just be his work slave to say, hey, come to church, be, a, be an usher, do this, do that. He's not telling you, hey, I want you to be a worship singer so I can, we can make awesome songs. No, God just simply wants you. His appeal to you tonight is in Proverbs 23, 26. It says, oh, my son, give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in what? Following my ways. That's all God wants from you and I tonight, church. He doesn't want anything else. He says, I just want your heart. Uh, and if God can simply have your heart tonight, uh, he has everything. But if he can't grab your heart, he's got nothing. He's got nothing but a body. Sin, in the essence, is self-will. Is that I want to be independent from God. And here tonight, true Christianity tonight, in essence, is love and loyalty to God that expresses itself in love and loyalty to the people around us. Yeah. 
when I think about, you know, how the proximity of Jesus, you know, everyone ever like ever wondered like how not in a hurry Jesus ever was a lot of times? That dude was never in a hurry. This guy walks. Jesus, the one you love, is sick and he's about to die. All right, cool. Let's stay here three more days. Say what? When he goes to heal, uh, goes, goes to heal, um, oh my gosh, I'm slipping right now. Uh, he, he goes to heal uh, uh, the daughter and he's walking. He's just walking. And then someone, he says, someone touches my, the hem of my cloak. Who did that? Oh, let me minister to you. Hello, Jaria. Hello, my daughter is dying. I know. Let me talk to her real quick. Because Jesus felt an importance of proximity of people around him. He tells his disciples the night before, the very night before he's about to die. Here, I'm going to give you some great wisdom. I'm ready for it. I'm taking notes. I'm finally, I'm a pastor. I brought my notes and I am ready to go. You ready for this? Yes. I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's it. And we look, that's what God wants, is he wants to love you, he want, and he wants you to share that with the people around you. And so not only is this, is that he learns righteousness, but he also learns tonight that God is a suffering God. Here Hosea brings us to a glimpse of the cross in the Old Testament. You know, how little do we really value the cross tonight? I'm not saying that we wear it and we have it up. I'm, I'm talking about how we really value, we, we don't really understand the cross tonight. Even when we see Jesus hanging up on that cross, it doesn't really hit us like it used to. It might have that first couple times we've seen Passion of the Christ, but it doesn't really hit to us as it used to. And what we do is a lot of times we look at it as, well, it's just a single moment in history. But I wanna tell you tonight is that the cross is a revelation of what God is always suffering for your and my sins. It's a picture of him suffering over us wanting having independence from him. Us pushing him away. Is God's heart aching out loud tonight so you and I can hear it. God here on the cross is his visible pain so you and I can see how did, how did Hosea discover this pain? He simply discovered it through his own pain and anguish with, with uh, Gomer. Here when she leaves home, he made up his mind, that's it, I'm done, I'm not chasing after her no more. But as soon as that thought comes in, he, goes, he says, another thought comes into his heart, I can't leave her out there. I love her too much. Goes looking for her, looking for her. Buys her puts a lot of money up for her. But this is what he said. He says, her shame is my shame. Her pain is my pain. Her sufferings are my sufferings. And I can't let her out there alone. I need to go chase back after. This is what God looks like tonight when we go out trying to be independent. He's suffering. He, he understands he understands that just a little bit of sin separates us so much that we don't, we don't see it. It's just one night out. It's just one thing with the friends. It's just one of this. But God says, you're separating yourself so much from, from me. You understand the grasp of this. And so what does this mean tonight? It means that God suffers so much more and the sins of his people than Hosea suffered with the sin of his own faithful wife. Here, thirdly, we learn that God's mercy is amazing. 
Here again, Hosea learned that through his own tragedy, even though Gomer had gone from worse to, bad, to worse, Hosea still cared for her. And Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, And the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. And this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and to love and to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. And during this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. And this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterwards, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. And the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. Again, such an amazing story. How can a man love like that? How can a man forgive like that? And Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Man, God is so much loving than we are. I, can ne I will never understand how much God loves me tonight. I will never understand the grasp of that. And, and too many times, church, we, we play this thing where it's like, well, you know, I, I messed up, I did this, and I'm just going to pull myself away from these things. Uh, I'm going to exit out. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, miss Connect Group tonight. Uh, I'm going to miss this prayer meeting. And slowly and slowly, we start missing little things, uh, and we start wondering, why is my life getting wrecked? Why? Because why? Uh, my heart does not love God. And whatever my heart feels is what my mind thinks. Uh, what my mind thinks is what I do. Our heart is where we feel the emotions. And if God does not have our hearts, no wonder why we're having these wicked thoughts and these lies. You're not good enough. You'll never become like that. Look at you. You're the same as you were last year. It's just lies after lies. But God is, he's a gentleman. He's graceful and he's waiting for us to come back to him. Waiting for us to just say, hey, I'm, I, I know you sinned. Don't do it no more. Let's move on. God didn't buy his back with silver, church. He didn't buy his back with barley. He didn't buy his back with any of those things. God bought us back with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Matthew 20, verse 20, it says, For even the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Isaiah 53, 5, But he has pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, and he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. I said this uh, about a week ago. We had a um, um, thank you for, for, for the, the, uh, the, con the conference leads and things like that. And, you know, the more we get into this thing calling, we're always chasing after this thing calling, aren't we? Well, I don't know what my calling is. Pastor, what's my calling? Calling, calling, you know, and we're chasing after it. And it's like, well, how do I get it? One is I have to, I have to answer the call to salvation first. I have to give my heart to the Lord. And then two, I have to walk in Jesus' footsteps. Okay, I have to answer that call. And three, I answer the call that God has placed for my life. It's by simply, you ready for this? Serving. Serving. The more higher ministry you get into, the more it's about serving. Pastor Letty, right? Uh, serving. It is, and it's not a work. It's not a tedious work. Because why? The power of the Holy Spirit is empowering me to do these things. To love on people that don't want to text me back or call me back. 
So go pick up people and say, hey, I'm here honking, honking. Where are you at? Knocking on the door. I see the blinds. But as God, I know a lot, I know Philippians 4.13 is such a, you know, man, great. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, like everyone's Instagram, but what it's saying is that God, I'm doing the things, you're helping me do the things that I don't want to do. And that's sometimes loving and serving people. That's what we're here to do, church. Love God and love people. A proximity around us. This is, man, I, I, again, I love this church. And we got to be able to broaden our proximity sometimes. I know we have best friends. I know we have family. But what God is wanting to do, he wants you to expand your, your proximity a little bit and, and talk to somebody new. I, 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 you know, as, you know as, uh, one thing, I, you know, well, my pastor or this and that and that and that. Well, you know what? Start serving. Start loving people. Start picking people up. Start Just serve and serve with a grateful heart. Because when we begin to do that, that's when we're showing that God, I really love you. I really love you, God. I want to serve you. And it does start uh, by serving people tonight. Uh, amen. I know this is a fast sermon, so. And I'm closing. The worship team can start coming up. But it's okay, my conclusion is like 10 minutes. I'm just kidding. The old joke, right? I get five closings. But I want to look back in Paul real quick in Acts chapter 26. Verse 13, Acts chapter 26, verse 13. Here, Paul is talking to King Agrippa and kind of talking about his conversion, about his, the day he got saved, the day he really got saved. Because here, Paul is, he's, you know, this legalistic. I came from a fellowship. I, I know I was young, but I, I, I saw it, I felt it. Came up, it's all these rules, and we got to set up these rules so people don't sin and people don't do this. Somehow you can't have a TV in your house if you're in ministry. Uh, you can't go to the, it's just a lot of things. There's a lot of legalists trying to keep people not, you know, from going to hell. <laughs> and so here he's thinking he's doing everything that he's right for God. I'm, I'm serving you. I'm keeping all these rules and stuff like that. But what he really looked down to is he's serving himself. He's, he's serving himself. Look at my ministry. Look how much I'm growing. Look how much I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these things. And here, he says in verse 13, he says, But noon, your majesty, when I, as I was on the, uh, on the road, uh, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down uh, on me and my companions. Uh, and we all found down. And I heard a voice saying, in me, uh, saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? He has no idea who hit, but he understood that something smacked him off his high horse. He was powerful dude, but something just came in, bam! And that's bigger than him, and he's on the ground, and he's not looking up, he's face down, and, and reverence, because, oh my gosh, I just got knocked down. Who are you, Lord? He says, I'm the one that you're persecuting. He, I, I don't know if you ever experienced bright light before. I used to live in Yuma, Arizona. My goodness, you walk out from a dark room into that, you, you get hit. It, it takes you a few seconds to kind of adjust your eyes. It's bright. But here, I love Saul's rep response. It says, it was just a simple question. But the question he asked was, who are you, Lord? He didn't know the one personally. He thought he did. He thought he was serving the one. He thought he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. But he, not, he now knew the one that knocked him down like this indeed was God. And in this experience tonight, uh, Saul became Paul just as Jacob becomes Israel. 
And Saul finishes this, he says, and Saul, King Agrippa, I obeyed this vision from heaven. It knocked me, and some of you, most of you tonight know that experience where God just knocked you off and says, man, I, I gotta stop doing what I'm doing. It's destroying my life. There's something that God touched me. Uh, he wrecked me, uh, and I can no longer go on the same path uh, that I was going. Uh, Lord, uh, where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? How can I serve you? What becomes of Gomer? We don't know. After she loved and she was forgiven like that, when her husband brought her home, did she repent? Did her heart soften? Did she become full of love? Maybe. I hope she become a good, good woman, but I doubt it tonight. See, love is the mightiest power in the world. I heard this quote and I love it. It says, love takes time, but hurry people don't have time for that. They're so in a hurry to do things I think I'm busy. I think I'm doing this. I think I'm serving the Lord. I'm, I'm doing all these. I'm so busy. Uh, and God just simply just want our time and our hearts this evening. He just wants you just to slow down for a second and give him his attention. I, I read this story a long time ago and I, I loved it. Just give me a second as I read it. It says, there once lived a bachelor out of Chicago that spent the summer in the bluegrass of Kentucky. And there he met a girl in which he fell in love with. And after dating her for two to three years, they were married and he took uh, her to his lavish home in Chicago where they lived in perfect happiness for a few years. And over a few years, the young bride began to lose her mind and would go into spasms. At best, she was demented. At worst, she was a raving maniac. Sometimes her wild screams could be heard in the middle of the night. It got to the point where the neighbors complained so much that the husband bought some property on the other side of Chicago, built another lavish home, put up a fence around and, and uh, moved inside with his bride. But again, her screams could still be heard loud at night. The laborers complained again. And one day an officer showed up to the house and told him that he needed to put her in an institution. The physician there told the husband that he'd take her back to the back of the woods of her home where she grew up as a child, that those scenes would bring her back to reason. So he took her back to Kentucky during that springtime. He led her through an old fashioned garden like she was led like a child. He, he uh, took her down, the, the, down by the riverside where flowers were blooming and the wildlife was alive. But still, she still had the same wild look in her eyes. And at last, heartbroken, the husband took her back in Chicago. He lifted her out of the car and he was carrying her into the house and he felt her head drop on his shoulder. And when he reached her room and laid her on bed, he realized that she was sleeping. It was the first natural sleep that she had in a very long time. Not wanting to wake her, the husband stayed by her bed for an hour, then two hours, then three till midnight, from midnight to morning. And when morning came and the sunlight peeked its head into the room and kissed her beautiful face, she awoke from her sleep. She battered her eyes, adjusting to the light, sat up and gazed at her husband. And she smiled and said to him softly, my dear, I have been on a long journey, a long, long journey. Where have you been? And that brave little heart who had been waiting for years desperately for her to come back to him replied, I have been waiting for you. I have just been here waiting for you. Luke 15, 20 through 24. So he turned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. 
But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that he had been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now found, now has found. So the party begun. This is God's attitude towards you and I tonight, church. No matter where you're at tonight in your salvation, no matter where you're at in, in your walk, God does not want you to get too busy that you don't have time for him. You get so busy caught up in, in doing, doing church things that you don't really grasp who he is. God needs you to be his servant. God needs you to continue to serve right where you're at so the people around you continue to love on them and see God do a miracle in your life tonight, church. But it all starts with here. It all starts here tonight. If I can have every head bowed, every eye closed. The question tonight is, how do we respond? God's heart is so awesome. He is so holy. He is so loving. He's so caring. And he cares about you tonight, church. Everything that you, every thought. And we know this. But it's the essence of just spending time with him. And maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're here online. And maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Maybe you come here and you say, well, I just want to come check out church. This is, haven't been here you know, in a while. I don't know. But I want to tell you tonight, if you can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, this is the best decision that you can ever make. Give God a chance. Give Him a chance in your, in your life, in your marriage, with your children. Give Him a chance tonight, right where you're at. If you, that's you, and you want to give God, you want, to, you want a call to what we call salvation. Salvation from uh, your, your past, salvation from shame, salvation from anxiety. If that's you tonight, you signify that with uplifted hands. Say, Pastor, that's me. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. Anyone here tonight? Anyone here tonight? Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. God loves you tonight. Praise God. Those of you who are saved, sometimes we allow bitterness to get into our hearts. We allow bitterness and it clouds our minds. We begin to say, well, I don't got time for this and I don't got time for that, but I want to tell you tonight, church, if you can make begin to look at your time, begin to look at who you're surrounded, begin to look at who I'm investing into, begin to look at and say, man, God, uh, you know, I, 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 I've, been, I've been marginalized my time wrong. I've been, I've, I've, been, I've been focusing on wrong things. I've been focusing so much uh, on my hurts. I've been so, focusing so much uh, on my yesteryears, Lord, uh, that I haven't had time uh, to really spend time with you, Lord. Uh, and tonight, church, uh, God, again, He just wants uh, your heart tonight. He wants to love you in a new and intimate way. Don't let it be common. Don't let church be common. Don't let salvation be common. Don't let your Christianity be common. Don't let it be so just a thing that I do. And the only thing that's changed from who you were before to who you are now is that your Sundays are a little bit different in the morning. But God wants you throughout the week, Monday through Friday, 
He has a heart for you. But he cannot do it by himself. It takes a response tonight. So we're going to open up these altars. We're going to sing a song of worship and allow the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, Lord, where am I tonight? Where is my mind? Where's my heart at? And allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak into you. We all stand in this place. These altars are open. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.